0: Hi, and welcome to The Amber Show. I'm Amber Urquhart of the Willow community, and every two weeks we talk about the latest in tech and crypto. Live from Taipei, we sit down with serious hitters in the startup community. Let's go. Hi there. Hi, everyone. Um, Welcome to The Amber Show. Just in case you didn't know, you're now a guest on The Amber Show. (laughs) So um, we have a very special guest here with us today. Um, So maybe you can uh, start with an introduction.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Amber. Um, So my name is Kai Huang. I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. Um, I've started five companies now, all in pretty different areas. But most of my career has been spent in games. Most of my working career has been... Uh, spent working in gaming. Started a company with my brother called Red Octane, um, which, like most startups, we pivoted three times. We went from online video game rentals, to doing video game accessories, to ultimately becoming a publisher, which is where we had the most success. Um, We published a game called Guitar Hero, which became um, really, really popular through most of the world. And we, we were, the company was acquired by Activision in 2006. I stayed till 2010. Um, We had four, well, my brother and I both stayed till 2010. We were um, on employment contracts, so we stayed with the company for a little bit longer. And uh, as entrepreneurs at heart, ultimately, we decided we wanted to get back to our entrepreneurial roots. So we left in 2010, um, and since then, I've started uh, three other companies, including one that's in health and fitness, but more around trying to make it more fun. Um, I've done a smart electric bike company, which is totally different from anything I've done in the past. And now I'm working on uh, 886 Studios, uh, which is a venture studio here in Taiwan.
0: Well, I'm sure we're going to get to all of that, but let's start like from you know the very beginning, and especially why I'm super excited to like have you here. So let's hear. Let's start with like my story. So. I was really into rock and roll, and I'm really happy. I'm hoping today, if anything, we start to talk (laughs) about music instead of, like, startups or whatnot. Let's talk about the music, right? Yeah. So when I was young, I had, like, ten guitars, and I never really was able to play any of them well. And a friend of mine was like, you know, whatever, just give up. Here's this like Guitar Hero game for you. Now we can all like be our like envisioned <laughs> the rock star rock that star. we always thought we could be. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, that's why that's where the inspiration came. So I'm just wondering. I bet I'm sure like a lot of people kind of felt that way also. Were you? Did you always want to be a rock star? or
1: I had no ambitions to be a rock star, actually, (laughs) Um, although it was a lot of fun working on working on the game and, you know, working with the music industry. They're all crazy, but, you know, it was still fun working, working in that industry and with games. And it was just a lot of fun to, um, you know, people are so connected with music. It was just a lot of fun to work in a space where it was something people were very passionate about.
0: Yeah, could, maybe you could, like, share some stories with us. Like, there were so many, like, amazing songs that I, I don't even, I never get to, like, sing at karaoke and, you know, amazing timeless riffs. Like, you know, I'm a huge Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Queens of the Stone Age fan, or you had Aerosmith. Smith. Maybe, can you share some of these, like, you know, stories with us, how you were able to access, and did you get to meet these people, did you get to... What are some amazing stories?
1: Yeah, we were very lucky. We had a chance to meet, um, you know, I I would say probably a third of the artists that we worked with in the game. It was, uh, from the beginning, it was actually a very difficult process. So music licensing is a super, super difficult process. And anybody who's tried to do that, particularly, you know, back in those days it was just very hard to 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 work with the labels to license music so for the first version of game of the game guitar hero 1 we actually didn't use any original music no masters we actually licensed the music and then re-recorded all of them it was a couple of reasons one is um, w- it was hard to afford all that music, so you know we were still a young startup back then, and paying for all that music was was much more expensive. But really, number two is the um, the artists themselves didn't want to work with us because we were a new game; they had no idea if it was going to be good or bad. So most artists had to give us approval rights, and they would not. They can were not you clarify?
0: You you didn't get their approval, but you were able to re record their music with like other singers and. That, that is correct.
1: Okay. So there's what they call the masters, and that's usually the one that like the most famous singers sing, like Aerosmith. Those That's like their version of the song. Mm-hmm. But there's usually somebody else who writes the song. Oh. And so we license the rights to the written stuff and what they call the sync rights in the industry. And with that, we can go re-record the music. Right?
0: Are you still allowed to use the name of the musician so that made it popular? Just
1: yeah, you, you have to say that it's um, like that musician or something like that. You can't actually use the musician's but name. But you
0: were pay- paying royalties to the person who actually made the music and the song. That is correct, yeah. So yeah. they were more willing to work with you guys. That's right. That's yeah. amazing. Can you share, I, I heard a story about like um, sex pistols and stuff like that. Can you share mm-hmm. more about these? Like epic stars,
1: yeah. It's it it was really interesting. Like I said, fascinating to um, to work with the industry. Um, The Sex Pistols, in their case, I believe that was Guitar Hero three when we first had them um, in the game. Um, we we got them to license their songs. They actually did a super cool conf- concert for us in LA. It was awesome. There they was maybe um, two hundred people in the whiskey club. It's a famous place in LA. Whiskey a go go. Yeah. Whiskey a go go. Sorry, okay, yeah, yeah. Whiskey a go go. Yeah, yeah. Whiskey a go go. Sorry. And um, you I, I, know, was, I
0: used to go there like every weekend. Yeah. And when I was on Hollywood, so yeah, yeah. it was Fiper a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: It was a lot of fun. So they actually they actually performed um, there as part of a part of a promotional thing that we did. Um when, when we licensed the music and they approved it, they, went actually, they actually went back and, and tried to find the masters, their masters music. And you would think these things are like locked up in vaults, right? Like, you know, that, that they must be so well protected. The reality is a lot of times they're in the back of a closet in, you know, a label or some studio somewhere, right? And so some of them get lost. So in their case, they they lost um, some of the music. So they actually came back and uh, re-recorded some of the music for us, which was really cool.
0: So, but, like, I need to ask, though, like, are you a true, like, metal fan? Was that before, like, the games, or how did that work out? Did you adapt?
1: Um, I, I was not a metal fan, <laughs> but I did, like, rock and roll. Um, so... Um, you know, it was a lot of fun. And then just over time, working with the music and working with the industry, um, I just got a chance to learn a lot more about the music and the artists and the stories. And anytime you get a chance to learn all about that, I think it just, you know, makes things a lot more fun and relevant. So yeah, over the course of working on the games.
0: What's your favorite song?
1: My, my favorite song? Actually, the f- one of the first songs that we use, and it always sticks in my mind, um, in Guitar Hero, before we launched the game, we had a test version of the game, a prototype, um, and we used a dope nose by Weezer, and I'm a huge um, Weezer fan, so um, we're able to use you know some really interesting, cool stuff early on, um, and uh, and had some fun with the music.
0: When did you realize that there was such an amazing like? Um Product fit, like you got all these, like you know, really people who are diehard into music and people who are diehard into games, and you made it really fun for everyone, like a drinking game with friends, or like a. (laughs) When did you? When it was? When did that happen?
1: You know, we started to see signs pretty early on, um, even in development of the game uh, before Guitar Hero One was released, that it seemed to be a party game, and in fact, we learned about what we call party games through. Other music games like Dance Dance Revolution was which was popular at the time. It was this dance simulation game, and they had other music games in Japan. And we just saw that a lot of times um, when people had parties, they would just break these games out. Right? They didn't. People weren't breaking out like Call of Duty, or, you know, World of Warcraft, or you know, uh, uh, different games, different genres of games. But music games—that was the kind of thing that everybody tended to bring out. And so we just noticed that they were a lot of fun, and a lot of people were interested in playing those games. And so we saw that really early on and as we launched the game, that's one of the things we really focused on was how do we push this out as a party game? Because that was how we were getting virality, people talk about it, you go over to your friend's house or their party, all of a sudden 20 people are exposed to the game. We had um, contests where people could send us pictures and people sent us some awesome pictures of them like all dressed up, full costume at home, right? Jumping off the couch and just doing like, all kinds of dressed stuff.
0: Dressed up as the rock stars. Like rock like stars,
1: <laughs> <laughs> like rock stars. Wigs and the whole like the outfits and the, the whole thing and uh, they were playing the game and we were just like okay th- that's you know kind that's, of a thing
0: that's really high <laughs> in like fan factor is yeah. was that it, the highest point or did you have people that like just had to get to like the highest level like right away and we're like i can't stop playing you know
1: <laughs> we we had a lot of people early days like just addicted to the game it was yeah. one of those games where you know we had people tell us After work, they would come home and sit down for half an hour or an hour and just relax to you know a couple songs. People told us, you know, they would throw party Guitar Hero parties, and you know, so that was how a lot more people got exposed to that. And so it was great to just see um, how many people, how many different people were playing the game. We got a letter from a woman. She was a middle aged woman, and she wrote us a letter because she said she quit smoking because of Guitar Hero. She said every time she got the urge to smoke, she would play Guitar Hero. I quit That's trying to be,
0: quit. like, a real musician. <laughs> 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 so what are what are the pros um, of cons of making this ideal computer game to other people out there who are, you know, game makers, developers?
1: Pros and cons, meaning, like, what, what's the... What does
0: the, it take or what does it not take? Mm. Don't do.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, every time I talk about making games... Um, the one thing that you really need to figure out is just this fundamental core mechanic that people love, and most great games. There's some kind of fundal, fundamental mechanic that people enjoy, right? Whether it's you know uh, team battle, Guitar Hero. It just happened to be this core idea around music and this puzzle game, um, and so there's a lot of different genres of games, and, and just figuring out for your game what is that core mechanic and our core mechanic just happened to be that um it was awesome to listen to the music and the game could make you feel like you're a rock star Right? people would pick up the guitar and you know they would forget that it's a plastic guitar and that it's not real um and and the music would start blasting um and people would just get engrossed in in playing the game and they would it just makes you feel like you really knew how to play guitar because it was fun and it helped you engage with the music, and so that was the kind of thing that we did was we looked at that one core mechanic, and then we just built everything around that. Because if you don't build your product around a core mechanic, then I joke it's like putting lipstick on a pig, right? It's just never going to be great no matter what you try.
0: That's a that's a good <laughs> line that I will remember. <laughs> um, maybe we can go like back to the days. Like I've heard so many you know stories of um, you know the that you kind of. Bootstrap strap this with your own cash like living on a two-week cash span and stuff like that and and actually working with your brother I've, I've always wondering like, how did that you know relationship and that motivation and maybe share also some stories of how, like this crazy startup idea or that came to life
1: yeah you know I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that we started very from a very different place where we ultimately ended up like most startups do we actually started the company is an online game rental service. So think um, Netflix in the early days when they were renting video games by mail, we were rent, uh, excuse me, renting movies by mail, DVDs. We were renting video games by mail. We started at about the same time Netflix did. And we thought, you know, that was just an area that nobody was tackling, right? You had, you had your old school um, uh, video stores that were blockbusters of the world, right? That were renting movies, renting games. Um, but nobody else was really focused on the game consumer. So that's how we got into the, the business. And I always say that that's kind of on the periphery on the of, the of the game industry. It's not really in the heart of the game industry, right, which is really publishing and developing of games, software. We were kind of on the distribution side. One of the games we were renting at the time was uh, Dance Dance Revolution, mm-hmm. And customers were asking us, hey, you rent the game, but do you sell or rent the dance pads? Because we need the dance pad accessory to play the game. And for months, we were like, no, we don't do anything with hardware. We just rent video games online. Right? We're not a hardware company. Um, So we decided, um, you know, when the Internet bubble burst in 2000, which was shortly after we started the company and raised money. So, okay, we got to start generating revenue. So people are asking for these dance pads. You know, it's not what we do, but let's sell them the dance pads.
0: Were and you part of like designing these these uh, guitar early guitar versions as well?
1: Um, it, uh, of the dance the oh, accessories, the dance pad. yeah. Okay. In the early version, in the early versions, we actually didn't do any design ourselves. Uh-huh. We just went out and bought some uh, dance pads from a local distributor, and we just market resold them and marketed them online. That's literally how we got started with dance pads. After about five or six months of reselling other people's dance pads, um, we, got, we were a direct to consumer company, so we got a lot of feedback from customers. And we, we also hired a whole bunch of interns who liked the game and really enjoyed the game. So we got a whole bunch of ideas there as well. And we decided, well, let's go make our own dance pad. So uh, my brother, who had a, a Charles, who has a little bit of experience at that time in international manufacturing, went to China. Like open up the yellow pages. Okay. So I've this is done what we're that looking too. For. i
0: went to China to like, you know, I have a we had a product line with another friend. Yeah. I, did, I was the one that went to China, found the factories and, and all that stuff. So I know the process can be quite
1: Daunting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially back then. Yeah. You know, when when we started in the early two thousands. It was a very different time. It's still very daunting now, but it, you know, was also a very different time back then. So so all of a sudden we start manufacturing our own dance pads, Red Octane dance pads, and I would say the one difference that that happened for us, and one of the reasons I feel like you know we were able to become successful, was that um, rather than we were going to um, sell our dance pads for thirty dollars, the ones that we made, which is the same price as all the other third parties, um, our cost of goods was eight, so margins were pretty good. Um, at the last minute, we decided. Let's sell these for fifty. And in retail, you can take the price down, but it's very difficult to take the price up. Also, sometimes um, when you have a high price, it can signal quality. And we felt like we had a better product, so we said, "Well, let's just start higher. If it doesn't work, we can always drop the price." So we launched the product at fifty dollars. Uh, immediately, it caught on. You know, people who were fans of the game, you know, thought we had made the best dance pad that was out there so we built this little following among that core group and then just kind of kept expanding it from there we were very lucky because our, our margins were especially for hardware were were quite good
0: but you started with like no real investment this is really just you and your brother kind of together
1: uh, when we first started the company we actually raised some friends and family oh, money yeah to get things going but we never raised V we were never able to raise VC money you know through the life of the company.
0: So do you um, is is it what do you say to other people like is it good to start a business with like such a close family member like I've always had this like you know like friends partners how does that work how is your your guys's relationship
1: you know I think for us we turned it turned out to be really lucky and it, it did work out for us or at least we're still talking to each other right <laughs> um, but it wasn't easy so the one the one thing that you know we grew up fighting with each other right and so the one thing that was very easy for us when we were sitting in a meeting in the office was if i didn't like what he said i just would start yelling at him right well that's stupid that's a terrible idea right no we're not going to do that and he would do the same thing to me and it took us a couple of years to 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 really learn and it, it took an employee of ours to actually <laughs> tell us and spell it out for us and He said um, hey, Kai and Charles. You know when you guys start arguing, like just like in the office, like that, we we're, we paralyzed. We don't know what to do. So sometimes, you know, they they say it's, it's like mommy and daddy are fighting again. We it's just like, don't know who choose, to listen can't to, right? she sides, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. exactly. So it became very difficult for them. So we decided, okay, we can't. We got to stop fighting in front of everybody, and let's just go. You know, take that all behind behind the scenes, um, behind closed doors, and. Figure out, yell at each other in there until we're okay with it, and then, you know, then tell people what you know what what we're talking about or what we're thinking.
0: But cool, but those I think those early days, you know, there were times where you guys had to take out personal loans mm. and mortgages. So what is the? I think people want to know, like, what is the the motivation to keep going? Is it belief in the the project in in yourselves, or what is it that helps like keeps you guys people entrepreneurs going?
1: I you know I think for us it was a belief in of course what we were doing we had no idea you know how big the company would get but we were interested in you know building a big company even though at the beginning it was difficult i think it's just this belief that we have to succeed right we our first round we took friends and family money and it wasn't like okay sorry you know nobody wanted to go back and tell them hey we lost your money and for us you know this is what we love to do and we wanted to see it succeed so you know, for us, that was but the only was, road. But what was, like,
0: success for you? Was it, like, you know, what was the point where you were, like, we've succeeded? Was it, you know, when you were acquired or you had this moment where, like, you saw somebody, you know, in Mongolia playing your game? I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I was literally on Easter Island. Right. Maybe, like, seven years uh, seven years after the first, five years after the first Guitar Hero launched, and there was somebody wearing a Guitar Hero T-shirt. You know, walking around the street there, it was actually quite a funny moment.
0: That's like the sign for you, like, yeah, wow.
1: Easter Island. <laughs> I was like, wow, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um, I, I think for for us, I, I, you know, one of the first points was we we couldn't after the first friends and family round, we couldn't raise VC money. We tried. We went up and down Sand Hill Road. You know, we lived yeah, in Silicon Valley. Yeah, we exactly. lived there. We grew up there. Tried to talk to people about this idea, right? Whether we we're, were when we started as online game rentals, we didn't bother even going out when we were doing accessories because that was hardware and in Silicon Valley and nobody back then, especially nobody liked hardware, so we didn't even bother. But once we started to get into publishing again, that's when we decided, well, let's go out and try to raise money and. Before Guitar Hero launched, it was impossible to raise money because they, you know, what's your business plan? Well, we're in video games. We don't like video games. VCs don't like video game space, right? It changed a little bit over time now, but back then they didn't like video games. It's a history-driven business. We don't invest in video games. You know, second, second thing is, oh, you're you're doing music games. Well, we don't understand. What's a music game, right? Like, that, that just wasn't a popular thing. It's certainly not mass market, and third thing was, oh, you do hardware, right? It's like, oh, yeah, that's that's just you know terrible. So we don't we we sort of hit every no checkbox there was. So so we couldn't raise money. Once we launched Guitar Hero and people could see the data and could see how there might be a lot of interest in the game itself, that was the first time that we were able to actually get real VC interest. And I thought, you know, after six years of trying to raise money and not being able to raise money and finally having people like say, okay, I'm willing to give you a term sheet and raise money. That was probably the first time that I felt like, you know, it was that, that we were starting to really do well, right? Really get on the hockey stick. I would say when the company was acquired, certainly that was a happy day. So, you know, that was a, a good validation of, hey, we had built a real business that a big company like Activision actually wanted to buy,
0: Maybe for people who are also, you know, want to build a successful company, what advice would you give on, like, selling your company or that route?
1: Um, well, you know, I think, number one, most entrepreneurs, I think, don't really think about when they want to exit. And I we had a great piece of advice from one of our advisors, he's a longtime startup entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, he's done very successful. His one of his first things he told us was, as we even had a chance to go through the process, he said, "Kai, Charles, you know, you you've got to pick a number, right? Start start thinking about that." Back then, was, well, let's pick a number. Well, pick a pick a number. <laughs> pick what number? Okay. Well, pick a number meaning, you know, think about what price you might want to sell the company at, right? And everybody has different interests and desires and values and lifestyle. Maybe some people are totally happy with. Selling a company for, you know, five million dollars, and you know, it's enough money to maybe not retire in Silicon Valley, but certainly enough to do whatever you want for the rest of your life, right? Maybe some people want to have, you know, a hundred million dollars in a private jet. Maybe some people just, hey, I want to be a billionaire, right? No idea, but most people don't, don't even think about, you know, those things, and so I, I think that number. Or excuse me, that question, pick a number, just helps you at least start to think about that, right? Like, what are we shooting for here, right? Everybody as a startup entrepreneur. Most people are just like, oh, I love what I'm doing, very passionate about it. I want to build a big company, and everybody's going to make a lot of money. Right? But you don't really, again, come back to some, some of those basic fundamental things. The other thing I think it forces us to do... It's
0: probably a kind of a good sign if someone's like, you know, <laughs> pick this magical number right. where you're set for life. Or yeah. I don't know, where you can, you know, build your second company. That's like pretty good good place to it's, be It's at. a
1: good place to be yeah, for <laughs> sure, right? I, I don't think anybody complains in, in that place. Um, the other thing I thought that was very important about that is that as we went through the acquisition process because we had at least put some thought into it, right? We, we weren't, like, thinking about this all night. But, you know, you just put some thought. And ultimately what happened was when the offer came and it hit our number, then what I think it does is it creates financial discipline. Just like um, financial managers, people who manage money professionally, they usually, and they're buying stocks, let's say, they usually have an entry price and an exit price, right? And they kind of think about, makes you think about it ahead of time. So I'm going to buy here and I'm going to sell when it hits here. And what I think that helps you start to do is it starts to put more business rigor into the thinking and it starts to take the emotion out or tries to take the emotion out. Because I've seen so many times where people, it, buying stocks is, you know, again, a more common thing, but you buy a stock and it goes up and you hold on to it and you're like, oh my God, I, I can't think, sell it. I
0: think also because it's like your baby, like you birthed mm-hmm. this, right? So that's why they ask you to like, okay, what are you okay with? And then we work from there. Otherwise it's just like, oh, but I could, you know, we could have Guitar Hero 10 or something. Right,
1: right. Yeah, how far can we ride this, right? And so for, for us, I think, you know, those were a couple of the uh, important things to think about that really helped us through that process.
0: Okay, so you know, you're kind of like music. You know, music. You do like the 25 year anniversary. Like, is there something like that coming out? <laughs> Are people playing it in Taiwan? Or where can we like get it again? Or
1: um, it, it, it's still it's still sold in stores. It is. I've seen it in Taiwan before. Um, Activision, who acquired our company, has not released the game since. Uh, 2015 so i'm not sure if they have plans to actually release another version of the game i would suspect that at some point they probably will you know i was pretty surprised when i saw literally it's it's been so long but i saw the just the other day um npd which is this reporting group that reports on video game sales uh said that uh, that they put a list of the Top ten games of the of that decade when Guitar Hero One first launched, and it was the number one selling game of the decade, right? And of
0: course, yeah, congrats.
1: It was yeah, thanks. And it was just okay, something thanks. that I never thought, like <laughs> never even really thought that that we were close or that well, was you, interesting. You kind but. of
0: like you know you mass adopted people who you know rock stars, like I like I was saying before. Um, maybe there'll be like a, maybe we can work on together like an EDM spin. Oh, because yeah. like how many people want to be DJs? Right, now, right right. And we're in Taiwan, which is a great place for hardware, isn't and
1: it? We, and we did actually re- release a DJ hero. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> At the time, it was the number one uh, selling IP um, um, first time IP, meaning new IP, it was the number one selling game. It did 150 million in its first year, actually in sales. Um, but for you know a company like Activision and for a franchise <laughs> like Guitar Hero was, unfortunately, as big as that number was, it just wasn't big enough to decide to keep it going. Cool. But it was a very cool game.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you do have this game, game of the decade, game of the century, kind of non-game game best-selling game ever, but you've started all of these other companies mm-hmm. after that. And, you know, we're still talking about this game that was 10 years ago. It's still relevant today. I, I've heard your story a million times. How does it feel when you want to, like, do the next startup and the next startup? Are you like, I'm tired of that. I want to talk about <laughs> this and this and that. Or wh- is it hard to have that benchmark? Or
1: You know, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'll ever get tired of talking about it. I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with the company, right? If it was something where you know, I felt along the way I just wasn't enjoying it anymore or at that time, right? Then I might feel differently today, you know, uh, this many years later after the game's been released. But I, I thought it was a lot of fun working on the games. I had a great experience, um, really enjoyed it, so I, I don't mind talking about it at all. Uh, but I certainly, you know, enjoy talking about a lot of the other new stuff that I've worked on as like, well. do people
0: see you and they're like, oh, can you do that thing? Or <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, please um, give us a recap of these different startups that you've started mm. and um, what you're doing now with um, 886, which I'm also quite familiar with, but maybe you can share.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm happy to talk about 886 because that's actually, you know, here in Taiwan where uh, – We have, I have been here since last June. So I've been in Taiwan now for 10 months since uh, COVID hit. So it's particularly relevant. Um, When we first got here, my family first got here in June, we were originally just planning to stay for summer vacation. We'd had three months of shelter in place in the Bay Area. We're like, okay, you know, if everything is going to stay closed, great time to get out of here, go back to Taiwan. So we come back about once a year. So when we first came back, it was just going to be summer vacation with this now silly sort of expectation that school might reopen in the fall, right, <laughs> or at the end of summer, right? Um, and, and so once we started figuring out in August when schools were, at that time, looking to reopen and they decided, okay, no, we're not reopening school, right? Things were still very bad. Um, that's when I decided, okay, I, I can't just sit here on vacation indefinitely i got to do something and so that's when the idea of 886 studios started to be formed it was really about um as startup entrepreneurs i had so many friends here how do we help taiwan and the way that we feel like we can best help taiwan is leverage the experience that we've had starting companies all of us are for some from silicon valley um uh, we've all started companies. We've all exited companies. And so we've been lucky enough to have that experience. So the idea of 886 Studios is a venture studio. Um, we want to help build companies in Taiwan. So similar to an accelerator, but different. An accelerator will bring in teams that already have ideas, probably have built a product, in some cases even have sales or revenue. In the case of 886 Studios, we start earlier than that. We just bring in super smart people and say, hey, if you're interested in doing startups and you're motivated and you're ready to go, come on in and let's chat about ideas and let's brainstorm, let's throw stuff against the wall. And, you know, if we feel like there's an interesting idea, let's test it, let's build a prototype. And at some point, if it makes sense, we can spin it out into its own company.
0: You're the first person that I've um, talked to about it. Is this Was this your idea that you manifested or you were convinced by someone or <laughs> who's involved? How did it come to?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that the seed of the idea was me, but there were several people, you know, that helped think through this in the early days. Um, we have a, a, a partnership group of 12 sort of previous founders, um, you know, myself and my brother, Charles, who started Red Octane, a lot of them were, you know, friends of mine. And, and so they're from the game industry, which is where I spent most of my time. Kevin Cho, who uh, co-founded Kabam. Chris Wong, who co-founded Playdum. Kevin Lin, who co-founded Twitch. Um, uh, Joe He, who co-founded Orbit Baby, which is a baby products company. Um, Phil and Tim Chen, who, you know, started companies both in the U.S. and here in Taiwan. Um, So it's it's a it's a pretty big group of people again, who've all had, you know, experience. And our goal again is let's bring in some super smart people. And we have a group of pretty diverse experiences and we can, you know, not only as, um, as founders, but also of our own companies, but as investors, now angel investors in other companies, and let's take that experience and let's help, you know, younger entrepreneurs come up and shape ideas and ultimately shape companies.
0: Do you feel that being, like, uh, I, there's a lot of new communities that I've seen that are, like, you know, groups of exited founders that are turning into VC or funds. Do you feel that having that experience is the best, like, knowledge to like, as being going through the process to, to offer to these young people? And where do you think um, you could help the most?
1: I feel like, you know, we've done um, both starting companies and all of us have also invested in companies and I feel like it's great to see both sides of the coin, right? As a founder, you're always out begging for money, right? As a VC, they actually do beg for money too, but they're also investing, you know, money as well, right? So you get to see both sides of the coin. Like, what does it look like from the founder side, and then what does it look like from a VC side? And so, trying to understand, being able to understand both sides, is really, um, you know, help me help other startups with, okay, this might be founder's view, but this is a potential investor's view, right, of of, of the idea or the product or the business. Um, the other thing that I think, you know, all of us uh, have been able to sort of bring to the table is just a, a diversity of backgrounds. So again, as founders and investors, but also from different areas. And so we've seen different things from Hardware, software, enterprise, you know, just a lot of different areas that that we hope to be able to bring experience to. And, and ultimately, the idea is to create a recycling where if we can start companies that hopefully are successful and exit, then those companies and those people who are hopefully teams still in Taiwan, some will be in whatever markets they choose to go to, right, to Target, But if they're building teams in Taiwan, then let's get wide equity distribution. Let's get people stock. And so then if those companies are successful and exit, then they become investors or they become founders of companies themselves. Right. And I think that's a big hallmark of what happens in great startup ecosystems. You know, that's how it really grew in Silicon Valley. So for 886, I think that's a big part of the philosophy. That's, again, how we feel like we can help Taiwan.
0: Okay, so you're kind of saying help Taiwan and, you know, help the ecosystem. Are you talking about specifically Taiwan or globally? What kind of um, areas are you looking at? Maybe you can, for people who are interested, and what kind of talent?
1: Uh, it, it's, it's quite simple. We don't have specific areas that we look into, but most of us are consumer. Um, most of us have been in games uh, there's a couple people interested partners that are super interested in crypto and have been doing crypto and blockchain. Um, Chris Wong has a, a blockchain company I called was like, that, Thundercore. That's my thing. What do you mean?
0: Yeah. You're not into blockchain? Uh, me personally, <laughs> yeah.
1: I only know about blockchain. You but don't
0: come to my crypto events. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but Chris, um, he's his company is Thundercore. And yeah, he's been Thundercore. doing that for four years, <laughs> right? Um, and Phil uh, Phil Chen has also been doing blockchain. Okay, okay. He's got a blockchain that's fund true, actually. That's true, that's yeah. True. Blockchain and crypto HTC fund. Phone. Yeah, Blockchain yeah, phone. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So he spent a lot of time in the space. So we actually do look at you know a few of these areas, but again, most of them tend to fall more on the consumer side.
0: But more like, um, like Taiwanese people, or can anyone mm. apply, or yep. like, is it somebody who? Like there's a lot of these things where we don't care about school degrees. You just have to share with passion. Or what is what is the ideal? What is the spark that you look for? Or like, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, we're pretty open. So we have people right now um, that are that we're working with and collaborating with founders. Right, who we consider will be co-founders of these companies that get spun out um, are from outside of Taiwan and some of them are from inside Taiwan. And so we feel like a, a mix is what we would try to build where uh, people who come from, let's say, Silicon Valley and who might be back here now but want to do startups can mix with local entrepreneurs and they can share ideas with each other, right, see see what the local strengths are. You know, Taiwan's very strong in hardware and, you know, software development, right, Te- technical, um, technical so sides. So
0: do you feel like on the c- coding technical side, like, it's really just like um – who can, who can do the work and who has the ideas, but maybe on a market fit, do you feel that what's what's holding these Taiwanese startups from having more adaptation to a global, global market?
1: Yeah, I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I would say the first thing that I tend to see is that most startups that are in Taiwan tend to want to start with the Taiwan market. And it's very natural. It's your home market. You kind of feel like, oh, we'll start here, and then it's a stepping stone to our next market, where we, whether we want to go to Southeast Asia, China, you know, U.S. or Europe, right? And the thing that I always say is, don't start in Taiwan. That's that's what we tell you know our founders here, right? Don't start in Taiwan because the term, the the market is too small here. But no market is easy to penetrate. So even though the market. You know, is a, even if it's a local market and you feel like, oh, we can do something quick and get started here, it's never quick and it's never easy, right? There's just some basic overhead that needs to be laid down before you can enter into any market. And so what I see is that a lot of Taiwanese startups here end up starting here and then kind of getting bogged down here a little bit, right? Just because it's not easy. So even, it, even if it is a small market. And, and so then that extends the time that that it takes to enter into other markets. Uh, but more importantly, what I've also experienced is that outside investors then just tend to put a label on Taiwanese startups and say, well, they don't really know how to go outside of Taiwan, right? So to me, I feel like you need to start from outside Taiwan. Don't even bother Think about starting in Taiwan. It's it it's too much work. It's too much overhead. Even if it's a, you know, easy market, um, but you want to you want to target the big markets first.
0: But do you think this is directly like a Taiwan U.S. play, or is there room in um, Southeast Asia? Is is language a barrier, or what's the what's the main barrier?
1: You know, the main barrier into getting into any market is just always going to be that basic overhead traction of okay, there's going to be a language thing, right? I got to set up sales, marketing, and distribution. I got to hire people, right? Um, if it's uh, if it's a, a service, um, how do we get, how's the best way to acquire users? Every country is a little bit different. What are they searching for in terms of your product? Like, what do they really enjoy about your product, right? And and I think you need to figure out all of that stuff. And so no matter what market you go into, I just think it's, it's just not easy, right? So... If you're going to do something that's hard, you might as well go after the big markets, right, rather than start with the small markets.
0: Interesting. Um, So do you spend a lot of, like, your time getting your hands dirty with these projects? Is it, like, a set of the same people on, like, four or five different ideas? And then once, like, one has you focus on more? Or can you give us some examples of what, like, what you're into right now?
1: Yeah, so uh, one of the things that we do is um, we try to match make. Founders who are very passionate about ideas, and match them to these ideas, so ultimately we can spin them out as companies, right? So, so that we we want to make sure that they're passionate about the idea versus we're passionate about the eight eight six studios is passionate about the idea, and and the you know these co founders end up not really enjoying it.
0: The best thing is to make it fun, and then you forget that it's work, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's that's the ultimate goal, right? Make it fun, um, and so we're actually sort of incubating a few ideas right now. Uh, NFTs, of course, we're working on something in the NFT space, um, like everybody else in the tech world. Um, And we have a few ideas there. One of the things that we're really interested in is um, Cameo for Asia. There's no real Cameo for Asia. So Cameo is a service that allows celebrities to record, like, a short clip of themselves. A lot of people do buy, buy one of these for their friends for their birthday. So... Floyd made Floyd Weathers on Cameo, and so oh, wow. if you want him to record a video, he'll do that for you, right? Is
0: it in an NFT form, or...? Uh,
1: right now, it's not. Um, so that is a possibility as well. But we feel like Asia has a really good um, uh, uh, sort of f- following when it comes to celebrities, perhaps even more so than, you know, like the U.S. does. And so we think an ide- that's a really interesting idea, to to how do we bring something like that here to Asia? The other thing that uh, we're looking at, and this is a totally different thing, is uh, exercise for seniors. Oh wow! So no one actually really focuses on seniors for exercise, uh, but there's a huge need for that, right? Seniors who want to stay healthy, insurance companies who want to make sure they stay healthy, and there's so, so there's some interesting examples that we've seen, but
0: I, I used still to a volunteer at like a senior home. So I'm, mm. I'm wondering, I think the major step is getting them into the whole digital still nowadays, right? So right. Is this easy to use? Or how would, is it like a physical thing, like a bicycle? Or is it like a software?
1: Uh, so right now, we're looking at more of a physical thing. And we're sort of thinking about a couple different ideas. One of them is similar to like a bike, right? Where people are just going to be much more familiar with how that works versus if it's purely digital okay, maybe that's a little, you know, too challenging. So we're thinking about, um, but it will have a digital component to it, right? So we're thinking about various different ideas, but there's kind of, you know, a range of stuff. That that's
0: really cool. An interesting place, Taiwan has like a really large population of very active, um, like seniors mm-hmm. or things. It's a very senior-friendly place to get started.
1: And a lot of exercise equipment gets manufactured here in Taiwan. Um, and so it's... It, Feels like one of those ideas that if we can get something to work, that we can leverage a lot of the strengths that Taiwan has.
0: Interesting. I've been doing a lot of research on this whole new like um, gaming metaverses and mm. owning property and having actual real cash value put into these games. I think it's such a crazy thing that all these you know younger people are into. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, and how do you see like gaming um, kind of expand?
1: It feels like right now that. Gaming is probably what's going to push this concept of the metaverse, right? This virtual universe or virtual worlds that people live in. There was a there was a time when you had um, products like Haba Hotel and Second Life, which was a while ago, that pushed these virtual worlds, but not really, you know, in the same way that games have been able to do it, right? And they were very popular back then, but. Um, games just has a much more natural, stronger, um, uh, a stronger attraction, because the one thing that I've always said about great games, uh, like um, a Roblox or or like a Minecraft, the ones that are really pushing toward this metaverse, Fortnite, right? That are pushing toward this metaverse um, or Epic with Fortnite, is that um, They're basically what I describe them as social networks. uh, And the context of the game just happens to be it's a game, right? Versus, you know, uh, the context could be anything else where people want to gather. It could be let's go to a restaurant and have dinner together, right? That's one context. Let's go grab coffee at a coffee shop. Let's go play tennis. It's just the context for doing something together and great games like these, it's a—it's just a context for people to get together, right? It just happens to be playing a game.
0: So do you think that's going to be more like AR where we're kind of in a game and we're hanging out? Is that kind of how you see also with the NFTs? Or? I,
1: I think games and games historically, maybe the way that, that we think about them, um, may not be 100% the way that it evolves. Certainly that will be part of it. But I think people just think of these as they're not they're not like just a virtual world. They're places where people gather where yeah, you go exactly, have fun, right? Exactly, yeah. And and the context some some a lot of those people, the context will actually be a specific game. Mm-hmm. Like I love playing this game, but I think there will be more entertainment experiences than just purely like I'm walking around in this virtual world and you know, I can visit these virtual properties and stuff like that. I think that is not gonna have as much long term engagement from my experience as something more like a game where there's a fun context that we gather around. You
0: need the fun factor and the with friends factor. Yeah, that's what
1: keeps people coming back, right? It's yeah. like, oh, that's that's why, you know, people go out to restaurants. They enjoy eating out. It's fun you're with your friends, right? Or you may enjoy going to bars or you may enjoy going to again, play a sport with your friends. It's just something you enjoy doing together that you, you know, come back over and over to. So
0: I think these are these ideas mm-hmm. continue to be like recycled and things mm-hmm. things that you touch and you're still like you're saying with the NFTs, you're still talking about the celebrity factor that's also going to bring people together on like one different aspect or the other, right? But I'm wondering now like with the NFTs and with all of these celebrities getting involved, do you see that there's like going to be a huge need for all of these different platforms or how can, how can you stick out and do you see it kind of evolving in the long term or is it a short term thing? How does it get to where we're at this part where we're hanging out and all this technology is happening?
1: I, I think where we end up will be A lot different from where we are today you know i think this is really still just just the beginning this is like you know internet 0.1 was right um 20 years ago or 25 years ago when it first got started i think the seeds of the ideas of what will people enjoy are starting to be built now Uh, but what gets built and what are the experiences that win and you know who's going to be the winner, right? Who's going to have the most people? Um, I think that that will be very different.
0: Yeah, because I'm also seeing this, like it's really hard to get everyone on the same page. For example, if you have a Taiwanese celebrity like Vanessa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you have like people in the crypto space, you have DeFi collectors, like Mm -hmm. these whales that, you know, have a lot of um, value in their collections. But then you just have fans.
1: Right. right,
0: That just want to like like be in the, be a part of the next cool thing. Right. How does it all connect?
1: Yeah, I I I I don't have an answer yet <laughs> how it's all going to connect, but there there will be some way um and you know, I don't know how long it'll be, right? But I think a lot of these things are are going to intersect.
0: Sounds very fun, and I hope you do um, push forward on that. So I see you as being, like, this all-around, like, 24-7 entrepreneur. And now that you have this experience, you want to, like, I'm I'm understanding with 886 you want to give back and grow other founders so that they can kind of, like, not only succeed but also give back and continue the cycle of, like, Taiwan and the U.S., um, maybe you can kind of feel what are, what else are you passionate about? Is it like you want to have roots here in Taiwan and help um, the country grow, or just entrepreneurs grow? Or maybe tell me a bit a bit more about your your future goals and your passion.
1: Yeah, I would say there's a couple of areas where you know where I'm spending my time. Uh, one is uh, education, so looking at giving back on in education. Um, uh, and, and, and supporting certain programs. One of which, for example, um, uh, at the college, the university that I went to, which is UC Berkeley, there's a program called uh, MET, Management Entrepreneurship and Technology. And it's an undergraduate program where they're accepted as a dual major in engineering and business. And usually you study one or the other, right? So you, you kind of come out as a more business person or you come out as a, as a tech person or as an engineer. And one of the reasons I think this program is so fantastic is when I went to college, I actually majored in computer science, um, but I wanted to go back and get my MBA. And so ultimately, I never went back to get my MBA. Uh, because I, I went to the startup world. Uh, but I think it's a fantastic program. And and so, you know, that's one of the things in, like, in education, for example, that I really enjoy supporting.
0: I think um, nowadays people are like, you know, fuck school, you know, like, do an entrepreneur program. Yeah, maybe is that. Do you believe in that also? Maybe this. You want to do like a like an entrepreneur program, like um, what Dapper Heroes or something like that. Is that kind of how what you see? And also, you have such an interesting uh, background. You you grew up in Mountain View. You you went to Berkeley. Um. Yeah. What What do you think is should? What's the route that you would um, tell entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, I I think that you know. One of the things that I was lucky enough to have had the experience, I didn't get a major in, in business in undergrad, but I did get a minor and I and I took all the business classes that were interesting. so I, I, I did get a background in that. I would say that you know for for people that are interested in startups and you know what I've learned in Silicon Valley is like getting that blend of, of business and engineering is great. I think those really early stage programs are fantastic and needed. Uh, but I feel like the pool of those people are too small. Like, Yes, there are a lot of great people who can do it at that super young age. But I think for most people, for the broader population, I think that's just too young, right? I think there's a much bigger population. You know, if you went to you know university and you graduated and, and you got that experience, right? Especially if you want to be a teacher a technology business leader over time, right? So so I love the idea, and I think those work. I I, I think there's a broader impact, you know, if, if you can have that the bigger program. Or, or
0: maybe that's what you're doing with 886. You're sort of, like, shaping these these people that you see potential and giving mm. them skills that they can do these, like, entrepreneur tasks. Because I think a lot of people in Taiwan that, that went to school, they don't really have, like, that experience.
1: Right. I think certainly the educational system in taiwan relative to you know what i've seen in silicon valley just doesn't give them that same kind of experience right there's some schools particular which is what makes i think silicon valley so strong there's some schools there which definitely focus on in engineering and entrepreneurship and i think getting people more of that here is going to help so we can do our small part with eight eight six studios you know we call it you know for us trying to elevate taiwan right that's the way let's Let's educate or help these founders, right? Shortcut the process for them. And if they're successful, then, then they can recycle that knowledge back over time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I know a bunch mm-hmm. of um, people when I first moved to Taipei who were in college and got really into crypto. Yeah. And now I, I know a bunch of people that have children that are, including yourself, that are looking to get into internships or looking to get into this more entrepreneurial like context. So maybe that's something that you can um, also offer. Uh, did you always think that, you know, that you wanted to come back to Taiwan, or when you were like growing up in Mountain View, did you see yourself as a future entrepreneur?
1: <laughs> in, I, I, I didn't see myself as a future entrepreneur when I was young, um, not not in the way that maybe s- some people thought. Like, you know, I I'm, I want to do some great tech thing, right? I knew I wanted to go in business. I just didn't know what. And business for me was, you know, let me focus on getting back. Um, eventually going and get my MBA, um, which I didn't never did. But that was kind of the first path. And then I thought, okay, after that, I'll figure out what exactly I wanted to do. Once internet 1.0 hit, um, it was like, wow, everybody's, you know, not going back to school and people are building these internet companies. And this is super cool. So let's figure out if there's cool stuff to do. So that's really, I think, what drew me a little bit more into the tech side as far as Taiwan, it's definitely something um, that that we've thought about that, you know, at some point, we want to come back to Taiwan and spend, you know, more time here. This time hap- was unplanned. Um, it was 10 months, you know, we've been here, um, unplanned because of COVID. But I think, you know, maybe in the next couple of years, we'll have a m- more defined plan of, you know, what do we want to do in Taiwan? How do we want to stay in Know.
0: Yeah, I think because you didn't have like the normal um, raise in with your company, you know, as a VC and investor, you don't want to just hand out, you know, checks to these to these young startups. What's like one thing that you can't, that you really have to go through and, and learn on your own, or, or tips for these startup guys, like if it so that they stick through it.
1: Um, I think you just have to really have a passion and just this like like being a cockroach, right? You just you just can't die. You just have to keep fighting through whatever it is. And it's not easy. And, you know, especially if you're here in Taiwan, you know, it, it is harder to do startups, right? I mean, little simple things. And luckily, luckily they're simplifying some of these now because I think enough people um, like us have complained about it. But just opening, just registering a company and just like opening bank accounts in Taiwan, like to do business was like, it's a really hard process. It's not easy. Um in the US, I could incorporate a company in like three days for $99, right? So we have to, I think, here kind of be able to push past a lot of those things. And so entrepreneurs have it a lot rougher. But I think, you know, if this is passion for you and thinking about doing it, um, you just got to have that you just got to make sure you have that, you know, inner drive and inner desire. So
0: people that you meet, I know you're very kind and you're very approachable and you're always offering to give, you know, advice and tips. People that meet you is your word of advice is like, okay, if you want to do a startup, don't ask me for money, join our program. Uh, what's the minimum barrier? Are you're, you accepting new grads with an idea, people with five years coding experience? How can they like, what's the first steps to get to this program?
1: Yeah, we, we actually don't have a particular bar there. So we'll accept, uh, you know, younger, e- even, you know, if they're super talented and they're, you know, haven't finished uh, uh, university, that would be okay too, right? Back to this sort of young entrepreneurs program, um, graduates or, you know, if you've, you've got experience, that's okay. We're, we're just looking for, again, super passionate, super smart people, Who know that they want to do a startup right and you're also from beginning to
0: to end like if there's not a point where they grow out of it it's like a full
1: that's right interesting
0: so are you going to be in taiwan like spend your time back and forth now or what's the plans for you
1: so right now the current plan is to be here till um, middle to end of summer so another three or four months or so and then uh, back to the u.s most likely, kind of going back and forth. Hopefully, with vaccines, <laughs> quarantine periods will be loosened. So, you know, I
0: feel like I'm brainstorming for you. Like, so, so <laughs> a lot through this. like, wouldn't it be cool if like San Francisco had like a like a you know a swap where times people could go hang out and do like a quarter there? Is that something you've thought of or
1: it's definitely something we've thought of <laughs> or how we can get some folks from the U.S. or other parts. Of the world to come here, yeah. right?
0: Are you helping with the gold card? Do you have a gold card?
1: I do. Yeah, are I came back three? on the gold card. No, <laughs> I not. I did come back on the gold card though, and um, yeah, it's it, it's a lot of those things. We're you know working with a bunch of folks who are actually here in Taiwan on the gold card program, gold um, gold visa, and so I think that's a great opportunity yeah. to you know bring talent back, and if 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 they want to work on Startups 886 as an example, you know, we'd be happy to work with them because at some point if we have a great idea, there's a great opportunity to spin that out. Yeah. And if they go back to wherever they're from, if it's U.S. or no, Silicon Valley. I, I totally
0: get it. You're not. It's not just like, you know, injecting money into Taiwan. It's mm-hmm. not just, you know, hiring a few people and bringing them back to the yeah. and helping this sort of space grow here.
1: Right, yeah. Cool. That's the goal.
0: I like it. I just like wrote your whole mission statement. I'm yeah, kidding. exactly. <laughs> you're welcome. Okay, I'm kidding, okay. I'm kidding. You guys have a website
1: yet? I don't even, I really don't know. Uh, we do, you do? 886studios.com. Okay. Um, you know, I, th- I think for most people, you know, who are, I say, as, as a former entrepreneur, right, if you're interested in entrepreneurship, um, just immerse yourself in it, you know, get out there, meet with people, learn more about it. Um, I, I, I see sometimes that uh, people here in Taiwan tend to kind of think a lot about things themselves first, where whereas in Silicon Valley, if, if, if you're interested in people, just, just start going out and start meeting and talking to as many people as you can. So um, for peop- people that are interested in entrepreneurship here, get out, start talking to people, network, meet as many people as you can, and that's the it. way I you get ideas. I was at a network,
0: and I brought some Taiwanese friends, and they were like, oh, what is networking? It's where you actually go to a place to meet new people. That's, in it, like, a new term for us. So yeah. I think, like, you know, with um, good kind of resources and these kind of things, I think it's, like, really something that it can actually uh, physically grow from here. And that's super mm. exciting. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for okay. being here, Kai. You're, you're a cool guy.
1: Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs>